0: Today we are in Philippians chapter 4, verse 9. We'll read that in a minute. Um, this marks the halfway point of the 10 series. Um, if, you're, if this is your first time here, here's the good news. You missed all the hard stuff. The last few weeks we've talked about some hard things in the 10 series. We've talked about um, being intentional. We've talked about living with contentment. we talked about paying attention. Last week we talked about tension, which is what a lot of us were starting to feel. Like, all these things we're supposed to do, and it's like, ah, I I know I'm supposed to do it, but I don't want to do it. And you start to feel this tension. Those have been the hard things that we've talked about. We are on a 10-week journey where we're trying, if nothing else, we're trying to give God the first 10 minutes of the day to read the Bible. And how many of you have done that? You've been giving God 10 minutes a day to read the Bible. Be proud. Raise your hands up high. That's right. Um, We have a 10-10-10 reading plan. If you don't have that, we have some copies at the door. It's not too late for you to get started on that if you would like to. Um, so we've been looking at these words, uh, like I just mentioned, we've been talking about intentional, contentment, attention. Last week we talked about tension. And so today we're going to kind of take a little bit of, sh- of a shift in this series. We're going to start ha- to talk about something that's, it's not as hard, and we're going to start to see over the next few weeks the payoff of what we've been doing. We've been doing the hard stuff, how does it pay off? So today we're going to talk about consistency. Today's truth is consistency. I've got two things for you to know about consistency. Number one, consistency is revealed in a moment. As a nation, we are obsessed with overnight success stories. Don't you love those stories? I found out this week that my daughter is a rising viral video star. I was checking my YouTube videos, and I found out that Sydney, hey, Sydney, wave to us. There she is. Sydney actually has a video that has been seen 53,000 times. I know, I was like, what's up with that? 53,000 times, she's a a rising star. We're obsessed with overnight success stories. We love viral videos. Tonight, how many of you are, are 49er fans tonight just because of Colin Kaepernick? Let me see your hands, anybody? Okay, one, awesome. Well, let me ask you this. How many of you are Ravens fans because of Colin Kaepernick? I'm just curious about that. Nobody. Okay, so Colin Kaepernick getting no play today at all. Tonight, believe it or not, this is that guy's 10th career start. 10. His 10th career start in the NFL is in the Super Bowl. That's an, it seems like an overnight success. Um, I was preparing for the teaching, and I found this article that highlighted the top 10 accidental discoveries. And it kind of told a bizarre story behind some of them. Here's just a few. You ready? Number one, penicillin. You ever heard of it? Penicillin was discovered when Alexander Fleming didn't clean his workstation before he left on vacation. That's how he discovered penicillin. Pacemakers. The guy that was inventing something just reached in and pulled out the wrong resistor. And when he plugged it into the circuit, he realized it would beat the same way a heart does. That's how he discovered pacemakers. Just pulled out the wrong resistor. Total accident. The color mauve. Anybody here like mauve? Men. Go ahead and raise your hands. You know you do. The color mauve was actually discovered by an 18-year-old who was trying to cure malaria. And so whatever he mixed together kind of made this little gooey. It looked like this gooey, gooky stuff, but it had this really interesting color. And he loved the color. It was the color mauve. Turns out he invented the first synthetic dye trying to cure malaria. Um, After a decade of trying to find a way to make rubber easier to work with and resistant to heat or cold, Charles Goodyear discovered the answer when he spilled rubber, sulfur, and lead onto a hot stove. Now imagine this: you've just spent a decade of your life as a scientist documenting everything. You're trying every possible way. You're making notes, and you can't figure any way to make it work. And the way you actually discovered is one day you just kind of boop, knock over stuff, and it mixes on a stove. And when he came back, he realized it hadn't broken down and it could still be pliable. Total. Accident. Coke. Any Coke fans here? Who likes Pepsi better than Coke? Satan. (laughs) Coke. Coke was the result of mixing a bunch of ingredients together just to try to find a cure for headaches. And no, I could not find if the real ingredient was in there. Everybody wants to know, does it have cocaine? I don't know. Oh, you don't know that unless you try to... (laughs) Here's my favorite one. Favorite accidental discovery story is saccharin. You ever use the stuff in the pink, the little sweetener in the pink packet? Here's how saccharin gets discovered. A chemist in 1879 is working on new ways to use coal tar. So he goes to work every day and he works with coal and he's trying to figure out how to use it in different ways. And one day he gets done with work, he goes home, he sits down at the dinner table and his wife has made homemade rolls. And he's eating his rolls, and she's eating her rolls. And he says, honey, these these rolls are amazing. And she said, okay. He said, like, they're really sweet. What did you do to the rolls this time? And she said, nothing. And he said, aren't yours sweet? And She said, no. And she held hers out, and he took a bite of it, and he was like, yours doesn't taste like mine. And he realized he never washed his hands after he'd worked with all the coal, and so he realized something on his fingers was sweetening the roll. And he went back the next day and he started tasting all the things he had worked with that day until he came across the one combination and realized that's what it was. And that's where you got and Enjoy the pink packet from now on. It's nasty. This fascination with great moments is not limited to inventions. It's not limited to discoveries or viral videos. It happens in athletics. We'll see it Tonight. In a few hours, we'll see a number of examples of consistency in the Super Bowl alone. Not just, now, Ray Lewis, this is his last game, right? I think this is game number 229. It's amazing. What a long career. 17 years. But other less famous names as well. There are no telling how many cumulative hours of practice will be represented on the field tonight by all the players. But one thing is true. Listen to this. Many will see the glory of the moment and miss the grit of the mundane. Many will see the glory of the moment and miss the grit of the mundane. See, consistency is revealed in a moment. There are moments when we all see something and we go, wow, God, that's amazing. What an overnight success. It's revealed in a moment. It happens a lot within the church. You ever heard a Christian give a testimony and you're just like, that is The best testimony I've ever heard. And you kind of walk out going, God, I want that too. And then you realize that they got that because they spent years with Jesus to get to that one moment. We see the moment and we want that so badly that we forget that they've paid a price to get there. Write this down under number one. We want the prize of greatness without paying the price of greatness. Now, right now you're thinking, I thought you said this was going to be a good message. I don't understand. I thought it was going to be encouraging. It is encouraging. It's encouraging. We want the prize of greatness. We just don't want to pay the price of greatness. And the price that we have to pay is consistency. And the spotlight reveals who has paid it and who hasn't. Consistency is revealed in a moment. Here's number two. Here's the second truth about consistency. But it's practiced over time consistency is practiced over time there's not any shortcut here the people who have succeeded they know it um louis pasteur he said this he said chance favors the prepared mind napoleon hill he was quoted as saying this patience persistence and perspiration make an unbelievable combination for success okay y'all don't know who those guys are you ever heard of bruce springsteen okay even he knew it this is what bruce springsteen said Getting an audience is hard. Sustaining an audience is hard. It demands a consistency of thought, of purpose, and of action over a long period of time. Let's just translate all those quotes, okay? Here's what they mean Big moments happen if we don't quit in the boring moments. Big moments happen if we don't quit in the boring moments. You ever been bored? It's hard to be bored. Anybody here suffer from ADD, or as we like to call it, ADOS, attention deficit? Ooh, shiny. It's hard to be bored. I mean, we want to have constant interaction, something always going on. It's hard to be still. The Bible says if we can be still, we will know that he is God. There's a lot of power in learning to be still. It's hard to do that. But big moments happen if we don't quit in the boring moments. Again, think about tonight. We're going to watch the Super Bowl. Someone's going to have an amazing game tonight, and at the end they're going to be the MVP. And they're going to be given a car, and they're going to be given lots of money. And kids all over the country that play football are going to watch that, and they're going to go, I want that. And then they're going to quit their team next year. Why are you quitting football? I don't want to play when it's 95 degrees outside. It's hot. stupid boring but i thought you wanted to be the mvp of the super bowl oh i do and i'm gonna be how are you gonna make that work Uh, it's just gonna happen i believe how many of you know he's never it's not gonna happen because he quit he quit in the boring moments and he'll never have a big moment a lot of times we do it in the church we want to the big moments but we don't follow through in the boring moments we're like a runner (laughs) who's never run before and they decide they're gonna run on the team and so they go to practice and the coach says hey it's great to have you guys here here's what we're gonna do for the first practice we're just going to run like a couple of 200 repeats. You know, we're going to do 400 repeats. We're going to run around the track one time. Then you're going to walk around the track one time. Then you're going to run around the track one time. And so you do it, you know, and you're like running. You're like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like a runner. This is pretty cool. And you do that a few times. And then he says, take a break, get some water. Now we're going to run the steps. So you run the steps. You come back down, you get some water. And you're like, I'm hanging with these guys. I'm running. This is Awesome. And then you do a couple more laps, and then you go home, and you go to bed, and as you fall asleep, you're thinking, that was awesome. The next day, you wake up, and how do you feel? Like you got hit by a truck. And so you go back to practice, and the coach stands up in front of everybody, and he says, listen, I don't even have to ask you how you're doing, because I know how you're doing. You feel like you got hit by a Mack truck. And some of you right now are asking yourself this question, do I want to stay on the team? And he says, that's the wrong question. The coach looks and he says, don't ask yourself if you want to stay on the team. Ask yourself, do you want to be a runner? Because if you want to be a runner, you'll stay on the team. Do you want to have a moment of greatness? Then you will not quit in the hard times. Do you want to have a big moment for Jesus? Then you will not quit in the boring moments with Jesus. See, consistency is revealed in a moment, but it is practiced over time. I think this is what Paul had in mind in Philippians 4.9. Here's what it says. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. Now, here's Paul, right? He's writing this letter to the Philippians. And if if you read a few chapters earlier, you've heard this. Paul stood up and basically said... I was the man. I mean, like, when it came to being righteous in front of God, when it came to doing all the things that religious people do, I did all that stuff. I was amazing. I was the man. If you want to put up a statue of best Christians ever, put me up there. And so the Philippians are hearing this testimony, and they're like, you know, that's amazing, because they want that. And then they hear him say stuff like, but, you know, like, all that stuff, I just kind of consider it dung. And they're like, that's weird because you just said crap whatever okay I don't know what that means exactly but let's go back to the good stuff and so they're listening he's trying to say look what I did is not important it's about following Jesus but they're still stuck on wait but you were the man like you did all the right stuff like you're Paul dude you're like writing the Bible we want to be like you Paul And so I think he gets to the end of the letter, and he basically says to them, I know that you want to be like me. I know that you've heard me share the big moments of my life, but can I just give you a little bit of advice, just a little small tip, just one little thing if you'll do this, maybe you'll be a big moment like me. And here's what the tip is. Whatever you've heard from me, just go do it. Just go put it into practice. I took piano for years. I hated it because... My mom would make me practice. If you're an athlete, you don't like practice. If you're a singer, you don't like practice. Nobody cuts the CD during practice because somebody, your vocal coach, is too busy saying, that wasn't good. Try that again. Practice is not fun. But it's what gets you to the big moment. Our greatest moments are simply the result of consistency in the not so great moments. The one constant in those accidental discoveries that we talked about earlier is this. They were prepared. I mean, they were all accidental discoveries, right? I mean, when you're like spilling stuff onto a hot stove and inventing what it makes your family a billionaire, we all want that. Like, some of you I know right now, you're going to go home and spill things on your stove just to see what happens so you can patent it and become a billionaire. But, see, that's just you trying to copy a moment. But the truth of the matter is, for a decade, he had been looking for something. He was in a position. He had been faithful, and he had a big moment. All of those discoveries took place because people were actually doing science. What is happening over these 10 weeks for the 10 series is that we are learning to practice consistency. And if we're faithful to do these things over time, there will be a day when the effect of our consistency will be revealed. Listen, it's one thing to start reading the Bible on day one. It's a, a whole other thing to read the Bible on day one of week five. Consistency. What Jesus does not want from his church is he does not want to be the man sitting in the car as the church learns to drive a stick. Have you ever taught somebody to drive a stick? Have you ever learned to drive a stick? Where I learned to drive a stick was with my girlfriend. She knew how to drive a stick, and I was a wuss. And I did not know how. And she said, well, you're going to drive the car tonight. And I remember this, never forget it, my whole life. We drove to Charlotte to see the lights at the old PTL. Christmas lights, beautiful lights. And as we're pulling in, it was packed. And we pulled right up to the entrance. And that's where we had to stop because we had to wait for the next car to go. And here I am, like, you know, clutch down. I think going through my mind, but I'm the man because my girlfriend's right there. And it was time for us to go, and I couldn't get the car to go up the little incline with my girlfriend in the car, and she had to look at me after like five or six tries of, <laughs> and she said, "Look, look, can we just switch?" That's embarrassing. Like you know, you know there's cars no one are, there are no cars in front of you because they've gone, but all the cars are behind you and they're beeping because they're mad because they want to go experience the joy of Christmas looking at Christmas lights, but now they're mad at you because you're holding them up. And we had to get out and they got to watch a a boy walk to this side and a girl walk to this side, switch places and go. Listen, that's not the picture of the normal Christian life. God's picture of the normal Christian life is not stop, go, stop, go, stop, go, stop, go, stop, go. It's not up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down. There are ups and downs in the Christian life. Am I right? Yes. But if you're consistent in following Jesus, here's what your up-downs look like. Up, down. Up, down. Up, down. And at some point, you're up there when you used to be down here, and you still have ups and downs. But we do it like this. Up, just as far down. Up, just as far down. I'm going to read the Bible in a year. Made it for a week ask God to forgive me. I'm going to read about one a year. Made it for two days. I'll try again. Didn't even start. That's, a, that's our life, right? I'm going to tithe. First time, 10%. First bill comes, oh, I don't know about that. I think this time we'll just go 3%. I think this time I'm better with my money than God is. I'm not making us feel bad. It's just the way we are. We are not consistent in the things of God. And because we're not consistent in the things of God, we never get to experience the big moments that He has for you. He has big moments for you. And they happen because you don't quit in the boring moments. This is the theme with Paul. Here's a couple of verses to write down Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. He basically says this Don't give up, your consistency will be rewarded how good is that to know he says if we don't give up at the proper time we will reap a harvest man that's good news look at the person next to you they needed to hear that today that if they don't give up at just the right time they will reap a harvest Galatians 6 9 here's another one Colossians 2 6 He says, don't just receive Christ, continue to live. Or some translations will say, walk in him. Just as you have received him, so walk in him. You walk from moment to moment. This is about consistency. Do you see what Paul's saying? Consistency takes you to the big moment that we all crave. Before we wrap this up, this is the shortest message you'll ever hear me teach. We're going to do something very, very different, okay? Okay. I'm going to put the mic down, I'm going to go, and I'm going to sit right there, and we're going to play an audio file for you, and I'm just going to go ahead and tell you right now, it's eight minutes and 50 seconds long, okay? Eight minutes and 50 seconds long, some of you are setting your stopwatch on your phone even as we speak. You're going to be tempted, especially those of you with ADOS, (laughs) to be like looking all around the shop, eight minutes and 50 seconds, that's a long time when when you're like got ADD, right? It's a long time, but I want you to lean in, I want you to press in for eight minutes and 50 seconds because what you're going to hear is and i'm and i i'm not making this too dramatic you're about to hear the best testimony i ever stumbled across in all my years of ministry and i've played it a handful of times wherever i've been and, and it is the perfect example of what god does in our lives when we are consistent even through the boring times and the big moments. The guy that's doing this, the speaking, he's got a little bit of an accent. I think you'll be able to understand it. You ready? Lean in. Here we go. This message is non-copyright. That's the not the accent. is encouraged.
1: A number of years ago, in a Baptist church in Crystal Palace in southern London, the Sunday morning service was closing, and a stranger stood up at the back, raised his hand, he said, excuse me, pastor, can I share a little testimony? The pastor looked at his watch, he said, you've got three minutes. And this man proceeded. He said, I've just moved into this area. I used to live in another part of London. I came from Sydney in Australia. And just a few months back, I was visiting some relatives, and I was walking down George Street. You know where George Street is in Sydney. It runs from the business hub out to the rocks, the colonial area. And he said, a strange little white-haired man stepped out of a shop doorway put a pamphlet in my hand and said, excuse me sir, are you saved? If you die tonight, are you going to heaven? He said, I was astounded by those words. Nobody had ever told me that. I thanked him courteously, and all the way on British Airlines, back to Heathrow, this puzzled me. I called a friend who lived in this new area, where I'm living now, and thank God he was a Christian. He led me to Christ, and I'm a Christian, and I want a fellowship here. And Baptists love testimonies like it. Everyone applauded and welcomed him into the fellowship. That Baptist pastor flew to Adelaide in Australia the next week. And ten days later, in the middle of a three-day series in a Baptist church in Adelaide, a woman came to him for counseling, and he wanted to establish where she stood with Christ. And she said, I used to live in Sydney. And just a couple of months back, I was visiting friends in Sydney, doing some last-minute shopping down George Street, and a strange little white-haired man, elderly man, stepped out of a shop doorway, offered me a pamphlet, and said, excuse me, ma'am, are you saved? If you die tonight, are you going to heaven? She said, I was disturbed by those words. When I got back to Adelaide, I knew this Baptist church was on the next block from me, and I sought out the pastor, and he led me to Christ. So, sir, I'm telling you that I am a Christian. Now, this London pastor was now very puzzled. Twice, within a fortnight, he'd heard the same testimony. He then flew to preach in the Mount Pleasant Baptist Church in Perth. And when his teaching series was over, the senior elder of that church took him out for a meal. And he said, mate, how'd you get saved? He said, I grew up in this church from the age of 15 through Boys Brigade. Never made a commitment to Jesus, just hopped on the bandwagon like everybody else. And because of my business ability, grew up to a place of influence. I was on a business outing in Sydney just three years ago. And an obnoxious, spiteful little man stepped out of a stop shop doorway, offered me a religious pamphlet, cheap junk, and accosted me with a question. Excuse me, sir, are you saved? If you die tonight, are you going to heaven? He said, I tried to tell him I was a Baptist elder. He wouldn't listen to me. He said, I was seething with anger all the way home on Qantas to, to Perth. He said, I told my pastor thinking he would sympathize with me, and my pastor agreed. He had been disturbed for years, knowing that I didn't have a relationship with Jesus, and he was right. And my pastor led me to Jesus just three years ago. Now, this London preacher flew back to the UK, and was speaking at the Keswick Convention in the Lake District. And he threw in these three testimonies. At the close of his teaching session, four elderly pastors came up and said, we got saved between 25 and 35 years ago, respectively, through that little man on George Street giving us a tract and asking us that question. He then flew the following week to a similar Keswick Convention in the Caribbean, to missionaries. And he shared the testimonies. At the close of his teaching session, three missionaries came up. And said, we got saved between 15 and 25 years ago, respectively, through that little man's testimony, and asking us that same question on George Street in Sydney. Coming back to London, he stopped outside Atlanta, Georgia, to speak at a naval chaplain's convention. And when his three days of revving these naval chaplains up, over a thousand of them, in soul winning, the chaplain general took him out for a meal. And he said, how do you become a Christian? He said, well, it was miraculous. I was a rating on a United States battleship and I lived a reprobate life. We were doing exercises in the South Pacific and we docked in Sydney Harbour for replenishment. We hit King's Cross with a vengeance. I got blind drunk. I got on the wrong bus, got off in George Street. And (laughs) as I got off the bus, I thought it was a ghost. This elderly white-haired man jumped in front of me, pushed a pamphlet in my hand and said, sailor, are you saved? If you die tonight, you're going to heaven. He said, the fear of God hit me immediately. I was shocked, sober, and ran back to the battleship, sought out the chaplain. The chaplain led me to Christ, and I soon began to prepare for the ministry under his guidance, and here I am in charge of over a thousand chaplains who were bent on soul winning today. That London preacher, six months later, flew to do a convention for 5,000 Indian missionaries in a remote corner of northeastern India, and at the end... The Indian missionary in charge, a humble little man, took him home to his humble little home for a simple meal. And he said, how did you as a Hindu come to Christ? He said, I was in a very privileged position. I worked for the Indian diplomatic mission. And I traveled the world. And I am so glad for the forgiveness of Christ and his blood covering my sin because I'd be very embarrassed if people found out what I got into. He said, one bout of diplomatic service took me to Sydney. And I was doing some last minute shopping laden with parcels of toys and clothing for my children walking down George Street. And this courteous little white-haired man stepped out in front of me, offered me a pamphlet and said, Excuse me, sir. Are you saved? If you die tonight, are you going to heaven? He said, I thanked him very much, but this disturbed me. I got back to my town. I sought out the Hindu priest and he couldn't help me. But he gave me some advice. He said, Just to satisfy your curious mind, nothing else. Go and talk to the missionary in the mission house at the end of the road and that was fatal advice. He said because that day the missionary led me to Christ I quit Hinduism immediately and then began to study for the ministry. I left the diplomatic service and here I am by God's grace in charge of all these missionaries and we are winning hundreds of thousands of people to Christ. Well, eight months later that Crystal Palace Baptist pastor was ministering in Sydney in Gymea, southern suburb of Sydney and he said to the Baptist minister Do you know a little man, an elderly little man, who witnesses and hands out tracts on George Street? And he said, I do. His name is Mr. Genor, G-E-N-O-R. But I don't think he does it anymore. He's too frail and elderly. The man said, I want to meet him. Two nights later they went around this little apartment, knocked on the door, and this tiny, frail little man opened the door. He sat them down, made them some tea, and he was so frail he was slopping tea into the saucer as he shook. And as he sat with them, This London preacher told him all these accounts over the previous three years. This little man sat with tears running down his cheeks. He said, my story goes like this. He said, I was a rating on an Australian warship and I lived a reprobate life and in a crisis I really hit the wall and one of my colleagues whom I gave literal hell was there to help me. He led me to Jesus and the change in my life was night to day in 24 hours, and I was so grateful to God. I promised God that I would share Jesus in a simple witness with at least 10 people a day, as God gave me strength. Sometimes I was ill, I couldn't do it, but I made up for it for other times. I wasn't paranoid about it, but I have done this for over 40 years, and in my retirement years, the best place was on George Street. There were hundreds of people. I got lots of rejections, but a lot of people courteously took the tracks. And he said, in 40 years of doing this, I've never heard of one single person coming to Jesus until today. Do you know, I would say that has to be commitment. That has to be just sheer gratitude and love for Jesus to do that. Not hearing of any results. Margarita did a little count. That's 146,100 people. That simple little non-charismatic Baptist man influenced somehow to Jesus. And I believe what God was showing that Baptist minister was the tip of the tip of the tip of the tip of this iceberg. Goodness knows how many more had been arrested for Christ and were doing huge jobs out in the mission field. Mr. Gennor died two weeks later. And can you imagine the reward he went home to in heaven? I doubt if his face would ever have appeared on Charisma magazine. I doubt if there would ever have been a write-up with a photograph in Billy Graham's Decision magazine, as beautiful as those magazines are. Nobody except a little group of Baptists in southern Sydney knew about Mr. Gennor, But I'll tell you, his name was famous in heaven. Heaven knew Mr. Gennor, And you can imagine the welcome and the red carpet and the fanfare he went home to when he arrived in glory.
0: Mr. Ginower understood the big idea today. We complete what we repeat. We complete what we repeat. Lots of people start things, fewer people finish. It is the faithful consistency to repeat spiritual disciplines that leads to God's will and purpose in your life being completed. We complete. What we repeat. Listen to this statement. Consistency reveals that we are Christians, not just people doing Christian things. Do you want to be a runner? That's the question. Do you want to be a follower of Jesus? That's the question. Consistency reveals that we are Christians, not just people doing Christian things. And the, listen, this country, churches are full of people doing Christian things I don't know if they're full of Christians consistency Christians read the Bible consistently they pray consistently they serve consistently they give consistently people who try to do Christian things don't do any of those things consistently Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, Paul said, put into practice because when we practice it, we repeat it and we complete what we repeat. Some questions to think about, some questions to talk about with your family, some questions to talk about in your community group. If you've got a sheet of paper with the outline, these questions are on the back of your sheet. You can take it home with you. Look them over, talk about them, come back to your community group prepared to talk about them. Question one. Am I willing to be consistent for a lifetime in order to be recognized for a moment? Am I willing to be consistent for a lifetime in order to be recognized for a moment? Even Jesus was prepared for 30 years in order to be public for three. And those three years, in the eyes of most men, ended poorly. Are we willing? Are we willing? Mr. Gennor was a consistent witness for four decades without seeing any fruit, which begs the next question. Here it is. Is my love for Jesus all the motivation I need to walk with him consistently? That's hard. Do I love him enough just to simply walk with him consistently and not need anything else from him? What gets us through the down, the dry, and the mundane times? This is a matter of will first, emotion second. And here's the last question. Am I so thankful for Jesus saving me that I can live in peace with nothing more from him? Look, I got to wrestle with that question. I don't have, I can't help you. You got to wrestle with that. But what did Paul say at the end of Philippians 4.9? He said, whatever you've seen from me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Because it takes peace to do this stuff. you are going to have peace. And I've got to ask you the question one more time. And then we're going di- to take communion. And during communion, you can ask yourself the question again. Here's the thing. Am I so thankful for Jesus saving me that I can live in peace with nothing more from him? Or are we always going to be the little baby birds going more, 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 more? Or am I so thankful Am I so full of gratitude for him saving me that I'm like, God, anything else you do for me is just icing on the cake. Four decades handing out tracts, never hearing of anybody ever coming to know Jesus. Why'd you do that, Mr. Ganor? He says, one reason, I was so grateful for the salvation that Jesus gave to me. Am I thankful enough for him saving me that I would need nothing else from him? At all. Can I just give you a really hard word as an American Christian? I know we live in America, but in other countries, there are people that will walk hours to be in a place that is packed with a dirt floor, they get nothing out of it except just a chance to be with Jesus and with others who are just as thrilled that Jesus has saved them. It is really literally only in America where we say, I love Jesus and, and, and. We're like the the Coke Zero commercial, right? (laughs) And? And we always want something else. And sometimes we have to ask ourselves this question Am I thankful enough for Jesus? Just Jesus. Just Jesus. If I wake up tomorrow and I read Acts 13 and I have nothing to write in my journal because it was kind of dry and kind of boring, am I still thankful? Just Jesus. Just Jesus.